Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Detour Life. Detour Life is a game changer for both family law professionals and clients alike. Detour Life is an innovative online program which guides clients to easily input and organize the exhaustive document and financial disclosure process and provides professionals with streamlined and secure case management. In addition, Detour Life has comprehensive client onboarding, a secure document repository, income and expense sync, parenting plan agreement features, and much more. I use Detour Life myself, and honestly, one of my favorite features, and one that my clients love as well, is that they can securely link all of their financial accounts directly to the Detour Life platform so that their information is automatically uploaded and updated as time goes on. So whether you're getting a divorce or are a divorce professional, I urge you to check it out yourself. Go to Detour Life, that's D-T-O-U-R dot L-I-F-E, and sign up for their free 14-day trial. Then use code SUSAN20 to get 20% off a subscription. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. You're appointed at the court's request in the common theme universally, I think, is that you are the eyes and ears of the court. So you are there out on the front lines, coming back to the judge and reporting in in a very in various ways. Hello and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Welcome to part one of this week's special two-part episode on GAL, AMC, OMG. We're demystifying the role of a guardian ad litem or attorney for the minor child with my friend and leading attorney, Beth McCormick. I wanted to tell you a little bit about Beth's background. She is an equity partner at Beerman LLP here in Chicago, which is one of the leading matrimonial firms in the country. She has pretty much gotten every award you can get in our field. Um, Top 50 Women in Law Award recently um, in Chicago, Top 50 Super Lawyers, Best Lawyers, Super Lawyers, Leading Lawyers, all peer nominated. Beth is really the top of the top. So make sure that you listen to both part one and on Thursday, part two, because Beth is going to walk you through the difference and the importance of a GAL and an AMC for your kids. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today we have another return visitor. I'm very excited because attorney Beth McCormick is joining us again. Thank you for coming, Beth. Thanks for having me, Susan. I'm so excited to be back. Well, I'm I'm thrilled that you're back, and this kind of this episode kind of grew out of your first appearance, um, which, by the way, everyone was lessons from a billion dollar divorce attorney, um, and that is because you know Beth is one of the leading divorce attorneys in the country. She has handled and is 
handling um, billion dollar divorces all the way from those ultra high net worth down to, you know, the regular people like us. Um, but really? she also, you mentioned Beth at the end of that episode that is that as much as you like representing and working with clients as they work through their divorce issues and helping them, it's your work uh, working with kids that really is what feeds you what, what, you know, really is you're passionate about. And I've had a lot of clients and, and listeners reaching out lately on the issues of guardian ad litems and attorneys for the minor children and issues around that. And so I'm like, who better that, you know, to come in and help demystify, uh, that those roles for my listeners. So thank you again for coming. And I'm, I'm really excited. We're going to dive into this. I think that you have insights that are going to be so valuable for people. My pleasure. I'm excited to go through it with, with all of you. Well, and, and let's just start with what they are, because I think, you know, you and I talked just before we started taping, guardian ad litem, attorney for the children, attorney for the minor children. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different names for all these roles, guardian. Um, what what are they and what's the difference between their roles? All right. So I'm in Illinois. I, I, my practice is based in Chicago, Chicagoland. So I'll speak from that perspective first and then break it down and how it might apply to all other jurisdictions, states, et cetera, countries. Yeah. Um, so in um, Illinois, we have always had guardian, guardians ad litem, which is um, a role where you're looking to protect the best interests of the children. There is another role where you are appointed as the attorney for the children. Interestingly, that's where you're an advocate for that child, and it may or may not always be in their best interest um, as far as the role that you take as their advocate, right? Think of the 16-year-old girl who wants what she wants because she wants it. <laughs> as her attorney, I have to advocate for her. So it's not a role that's used very often for that reason. And Illinois created uh, several years ago a blended role called child representative, where you look at the child's best interest and what they want, and you try to look at that together and uh, act on their behalf, uh, recognizing that this is an appointment, I think, all around the world, Susan, on um, you are appointed by a judge. It's not something very commonly, uh, I think consumers think that these roles are somebody that they hire. Like, right. how, how can somebody represent my kids and I don't even know who they are or have a say-so in it? Well, that's the way it is, right, Susan? I think all over. Yeah, I mean, everywhere, but the two states I practice in, it's very much that GALs or attorneys for your children are appointed by the court. Mm -hmm. That process can vary, I think, depending on the court that you're in. Um, I know in Connecticut, where I practiced for so long, you, there was actually a training requirement we had to go through, sure. um, which was rather extensive, I have to say. Um, I did it. And, and I think every attorney should do it, whether you plan to act as a GAL or attorney for the children, because then you have a better understanding of the role. But many oh of our gosh. peers don't do it. Well, and so much to say to that. So you're right. So you're appointed at the court's request. And 
the common theme universally, I think, is that you are the eyes and ears of the court. So you are there out on the front lines, coming back to the judge and reporting in in a very in various ways. So as a GAL, for example, in practice in Illinois, we would be doing a written report for the court. I don't know that that's universal. I think very often as a GAL, even though I do written reports, the judge just says, Beth, what's going on? Tell me what's happening. It's much less formal, right? Yeah. And um, as a child representative, interestingly, you are acting as a lawyer. So you're an advocate. Uh, You are, as a GAL in Illinois, you might be called as a witness to testify. Whereas in... Uh, as a child representative, you're the advocate asking other witnesses questions. So uh, I think that's the, you know, uh, an overview that I think should serve the listeners at this point. But what I think would really be helpful, no matter what the role is or the title of the person who's acting on your children's behalf, it's how do I talk to them, right, Susan? I feel like very few people get the importance of those meetings and how to present. Well, that's, I think that's really the, the drill down point in this entire episode. I think you're right, Beth, because for so many people, yes, there's confusion around the role. And I think it's important for people to understand. I think your distinction was really a great one. You know, GALs, it's almost a more informal role because they are someone who's fact gathering and, and coming up with opinions and recommendations um, for the court, as opposed to the attorney for your children. An attorney for your children is a third attorney in your case, or in some cases, an eighth attorney, but right. right? And, and one other point just to make for people, at least in the two states where I've practiced, um, you can have both a GAL and an attorney for your children. A hundred percent. Actually, I was thinking of that when I was talking about this 17 year old girl who wants what she wants. So of course, the court's going to see through that. If I'm her advocate and I'm just simply arguing what she wants, the court wants to know what's in her best interest too. So they would appoint a GAL. That's why Illinois came up with this blended role. And gosh, even I've had cases where I'm the child's representative in a case where there's a GAL as well. So again, without going into the whole legal um, ramifications of each role, I think it's important for people to know that distinctions exist and that I think in many jurisdictions, a GAL is not even a lawyer. I feel like mental health professionals in some jurisdictions are considered GALs, yes? Yeah, um, in Connecticut where I practiced for so long. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, there may be reasons why you want a GAL who is a mental health professional. And that kind of goes to that core of why do you get a GAL or attorney for minor children involved in your case? You know, what cases have that sort of layered into, most cases don't have them, right? So why would you have them? I think that's a great point. Um, It's the most humbling role I have, right? Somebody is giving the power to me. Obviously, when you're in litigation, you are giving over your power and your outcome, controlling your outcome to the court. The court then is going, giving up power for a bit to give this person, we'll say GAL, the power to go out on the front lines and learn 
as much as they can, come back and report and be the eyes and ears of the court. What's going on out there? What's who, um, what do the children say? What do the neighbors say? What do the coaches, the teachers, all the investigating that you do? Wait, I am going to be recommending where this child rests their head every night. I'm going to be recommending who's going to be making major life decisions on health, education, religion, extracurriculars. You're going to accede your power as a parent to me. So very often as a GAL, my first goal is to bring them back. And interestingly, as a mediator, Susan, I say in that role, I act as a mediator with teeth. So I am, now you have a seated control and I try to give it back to you and, and get both parents to the table, if at all possible, and give them power back with little tips and tricks on what my investigation held. And, you know, if somebody feels all empowered that it's going to go their way, I may bring that down a couple notches or vice versa. And again, no one knows their children best than the two people who created them, right? So I, I think usually I can talk sense into people and keep it from being a report to the court. Hello, Divorce and Beyond family. Susan here, and I'm excited to announce the launch of a brand new resource page on the website for you. I always say that you need to educate yourself when you're going through divorce because knowledge truly is power. And I think reading is one of the best ways that you can gain that knowledge. So I've compiled a list of my recommended books and reading on all topics related to divorce. We've got finance, parenting, emotional regulation, healing, and a lot more. So check it out on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com backslash beyond dash reading. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her special guest, leading attorney Beth McCormick, who is here to demystify the role of guardian ad litem and an attorney for the children in part one of this two-part episode. You know, if you care at all about the work you do, you it can be very, very hard because the children, no matter how strong and resilient they appear on the outside, they're suffering. If their parents are divorcing, they're feeling some level of pain. If you are enjoying this episode, check out Benefer 2.0, what you need to know about rekindling an old flame with America's favorite dating expert, Bella Gandhi. Look at that person and say, has this person done the work? Are they a different person? Have they come through healed, sober, unaddicted, non-cheating? Kind of have they really improved their ways before you decide you want to jump back off of that cliff again? It's so important to know, is this person a good relationship vet for me? And now we return to today's show. Yeah, and that's sort of your... Ability and then, and I think this is personal to you, Beth, as well, and why you're so good in this particular role and at everything you do. But you know that you very much honor the role of the parents and realize that sometimes it's a case of parents who've kind of lost their way on parenting and think that, and we all run into these cases, right, where they think that, well, we'll just get a GAL. The GAL is going to see it my way. 
And this is all going to, you know, then they'll tell the judge that I'm right, he's wrong or she's wrong, and it's all going to go my way. And, you know, you you and I both know that's rarely how it actually goes. Rarely the case. Again, a good GAL doesn't go into it with an agenda or uh, a preconceived notion of, you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, she's uh, mom friendly, dad friendly. He um, always goes with the dad, those sort of things. Uh, You know, uh, your attorneys often in all jurisdictions may be able to limit the pool of preferred people to the court. But Susan, I'm guessing similarly your experiences that the judge ultimately decides who it will be because you're his or her eyes and ears. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, different states have different methods for appointing. I do know that Um, in Connecticut and California, it's often actually when a, a case is, it's clear we're going to have custodial issues and these are not going to be resolved at least easily or in due time. Um, The parties will agree that a GAL or attorney is needed and sometimes they will agree on who they might ask the court to appoint. Um, I've seen the court say no, but more often if if the two attorneys and the couple agree, the court will appoint that person. Interestingly, just yesterday, I was on a team call where I had to remind the lawyers, you know what, go into this humbly with this judge, because as soon as you go in and say, here's what we're doing, that's when a judge again is going to say, no, 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 I'm the judge, I decide, which goes back to the power I was talking about a GAL might have. Judges don't always follow the GAL's recommendation. I I really want to make sure everybody knows that but also kind of reality testing. More often than not, they do. But remember, as a GAL, you're a witness. So under cross-examination, some of your recommendations could be diminished because the the court may think that you did it, you know, we're all human. So um, as a, a person who has long advocated for survivors of domestic violence, as an example, If I have a sense that there's a power imbalance and that there's something in here as it relates to um, an imbalance of power, I'm going to call that the way I see it. It may be that I saw it one way. It may not be. So an attorney may call me to testify and really try to trip me up on my impressions and my findings. You don't really know because in domestic violence, we all know those are subtle. None of us are ever there. (laughs) So um, all I know is what I hear and I'm assessing truth just like a judge is. I'm trying to determine who I believe and it doesn't mean that I always have it right. I do more often than not, though. (laughs) I believe that. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I think your peers in the industry, if they needed a GAL or an attorney for minor children, you're a popular choice, right? Because they know Beth knows this role. And I think what you're describing also, and I want people to understand this, this is hard work. It is hard to be the GAL and or the attorney for the children. There's There's a lot of pressure there's a lot of work that needs to be done. You don't just, you know, talk to the parents, get the lay of the land and make a recommendation. There's a lot of footwork that goes on with this. There really is, again, if you do it well, and obviously a ton of emotion back yeah. to being humbled. You know, if you care at all about the work you do, 
you, it can be very, very hard because the children, no matter how strong and resilient they appear on the outside, they're suffering. If their parents are divorcing, they're feeling some level of pain. And it's the teenagers who always um, get me because they do want to be so strong and act so uh, tough. And I have made it my practice to stay in touch with these kiddos for life. So the stories I could tell you of uh, the resilience of these kids and the difference that I think I've made. I I have a mother who recently shared um, her son's journey of um, of being who he is um, as a human, right? So back in the day when I first met him, you know, dad was a big, tough uh, police officer who could not conceive of having a child who was gay. Well, you know, here's a, a young boy who is trying to understand who he is, much less having his parents go through a divorce and not have the um, presence of each parent to accept him for who he was. Well, did that make dad a bad guy? Maybe, you know, I wanted to encourage dad to be who he is, but that's dad. And dad was, I'm not going to fix dad or make dad a good person. But Susan, I think the goal of this episode was how to prepare for these meetings. Yeah. So if dad had had a lawyer who prepped him for, you know, maybe you don't think that it's okay for your son to be gay, but here's how you're going to present to the GAL so that the GAL will hear you and see you as somewhat open-minded to your son being whomever he needs to be instead of this persona that, okay, I get in real life, that's who you are, but can you at least pretend for the hour meeting with me? Anyway, that's one example of the importance of preparing for these meetings, Susan. Um, Here, I have a, a law firm of several lawyers. And whenever there's a, an issue as it relates to parenting, they come to me to prepare the clients for meetings with GALs, custody evaluators. It's all kind of the same role-ish. Um, how can you best present so that you are seen in the best light possible? Yeah. So if you'd I like, mean, I'll go through some of that stuff. Well, I do think that that's actually a really such an important aspect. And I know it's really one of your areas of specialty. And this is where, you know, not to throw some of our colleagues under the bus, but I've been involved in cases where I would say attorneys have not properly prepared their clients to work with the guardian or the attorney or both. Um, and, and there's a great deal of prep, actually. It's like going to a deposition. You shouldn't go into a deposition cold without having you know pre-deposition meetings with your attorney. Same thing when it comes to a GAL. So what I think I would love for you to do is what if you were the attorney for one of the parents and a GAL or attorney had been appointed for the children, what would you tell your clients? So I always focus on the importance of stating facts. All too often, somebody will come in. So I'm looking at it through the lens of the GAL when I'm prepping the client and thinking of what not to do. When you're um, going into that meeting, uh, using names or name calling or um, summarizing, you know, if I hear another minute, uh, so-and-so is a narcissist, 
As you know, Susan. I was just thinking that. <laughs> this is the word that, that we're all using now. And having said that, you've done episodes on it. I've done episodes on it. It's definitely something that I, I would love to speak on with you another time. When you're going into that, those labels don't help. Because again, if it's a buzzword, you're kind of losing credibility with me already. Because I don't know what that means to you. I certainly don't know what it means. Break it down. What behaviors are you observing? What? And always back up your facts with dates and times. That adds to credibility. So I'm always telling people, you can't, if you were not one who journals, you can't possibly remember um, dates exactly, but you might remember it was the summer and you might remember your kid looked like this. So you might say in the summer of 2012, I remember X, Y, and Z happened or something like that. That adds to your credibility. Well, in order to do that, to prepare for that meeting, you should spend, I think, hours, maybe days preparing for that meeting, you should prepare an outline and that outline should be have all of your talking points. And then I like that outline to be backed up with a binder, old school paper, tabs, all of it. Again, you don't know who your GAL is and what how they like to think. So of course you may back it up with an electronic version, but whatever you do, have that data backing up your outline. If the theory of your case is, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be as gender neutral as I can. So let's say mom is um, overprotective. Mom uh, creates a, a bubble for the child that doesn't allow the child to go understand life, and and that you know cocooning is causing the child to be much younger than. She might be, um, and uh, if if those are the facts of the case, back up stories with dates of what happened. You know, uh, rather than dropping her at the door at ballet when she's nine years old, mom walked her in every day, and then who's going to back that up? Well, maybe the ballet teacher. So then have in those notes who's going to validate whatever your theory of your case is. Uh, if you've got the uh, mom who's physically abusive, how are you going to prove that? You know, a kid may never acknowledge it, which goes back to your point of training. Right. We learn in training kind of 101 is you don't ask children uh, point blank, obviously, but all too often it's not as obvious. I was just going to say, yeah. You don't say, who do you want to live with? Well, I mean, that's 101. But even if you want to try to understand the facts of a case and, you know, what really happened with mom, you know, you're just talking around issues. I think a good GAL, again, remember, we're lawyers. We're not trained mental health professionals. There are very few of us who have both roles. But most lawyers don't really know how to do this in a soft, gentle way. We're trained to get the facts and cross-examine it. Exactly. We bring that down a hundred notches. We meet with kids in a park, as an example, or in their bedroom versus um, sitting in an office with their feet dangling across from me, right? So 
um, how are you best going to get to the facts from that child? The worst is when you meet with that child and they were so clearly prepped. Yeah. You know, I have the, the story that will literally live with me forever of going and meeting some kids in a park. We're going to pause right there. So if you want to hear Beth's worst case scenario of talking to the kids, be sure to tune in on Thursday at 6 a.m. Eastern when part two of this episode is going to drop. You don't want to miss it because Beth is going to go into even deeper detail on how you, the parents, can best prep to work with your guardian ad litem or attorney for your child. So we'll see you on Thursday for part two of G-A-L-A-M-C-O-M-G, demystifying the role of a guardian ad litem or attorney for the minor child with leading attorney, Beth McCormick. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Thank you.